2: Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Come
1: on! Go!
2: Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Road. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week, we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals, and we get their views on the latest sporting issues.
0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Tap and Go podcast, where we talk all things rugby with players, coaches, and pundits from across the world. Today, we have a prolific try scorer. He's dominated the rugby world in the NRL, the Brumbies in Australia, Montpellier in France, and most recently Leinster in Ireland.
2: Welcome, Joe Tamani.
1: Hey, how's it going, guys? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, for sure.
2: so Joe, obviously we're in all in quarantine at the moment. It's been quite a tough time. How have you been keeping fit and keeping ready to get back into rugby when it comes about?
1: Um, yeah, we we got given equipment and stuff to sort of and given programs to uh you know stay in shape, and they've been monitoring us um, through GPS data and that. So, um, you know, Leinster controlled it pretty well. Uh, the sort of difficult part of the the season, I guess, and um. Uh, yeah, all the boys have come back into tip-top shape, which is good. And that's uh, yeah, that's down to the S&C stuff that have sort of helped us maintain.
2: Well, obviously, the big news in the last 24 hours is that you're actually leaving Leinster. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> any things where you're going to be heading next or what's next for you in rugby? Uh,
1: no breaking news here, brother. I can't really fill uh, in the beans. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll, there will be a decision being made hopefully in the next week or so. Um, and then I'll, I'll be able to fill you guys in more.
0: That's true. So, um, so I guess you started your career in the NRL and then you switched codes and went to Union. So I guess you had the likes of um, Izzy Folau doing the same, Marika Cori-Betty, Andrew Walker. Um, what makes sort of the transition, especially for wingers, so fluent, I guess, to back to Union? And what were some difficulties that you found?
1: Uh, well, to be honest with you, I started off playing rugby union um, when I was a kid. I, I, I'd always played rugby union. I, I never really played uh, rugby league as a kid. And, and then uh, when the opportunity came to, to go to Melbourne, um, you know, I, it, it was it was a chance for me to sort of, I guess, spread my wings a little, um, test the waters, and, and see how it would go. Uh, I was a little bit nervous about it, to be honest with you, because. <laughs> You know, I'd, I'd never really lived, lived away from home before, and uh, I would have been 17 when I moved down. So, um, you know, that that was nerve wracking, uh, but I did a lot of growing up which, uh, through that experience, so that was really cool. Um, so my transition is completely different to to say um, Israel, because Israel sort of played rugby league through throughout his career. Um, and then sort of had to make the transition to Union. So I think, you know, there, there's not many players like Israel. <laughs> he's a special talent, man. He He's, you know, he's just one of a kind, really. Um, and you have seen, like, a lot of league players who have tried to cross over to Union um, and have struggled a little bit. Um, uh, but they're mainly in, in different sort of positions, you know. like They're, they're sort of your... The 10-12s um, have sort of come over, um, you know, because they're not used to having so such minimal space to create. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for wingers, I think the transition is just a little bit easier because um, your roles are basically the same. There's probably a little bit more, um, I guess, defensively for wingers in Union, there's a little bit more to do. Um in terms of, you know, reading, uh, attacking schemes and stuff and making sure you, you're staying in your defensive systems. But um, other than that, like I think everything else is, the skill sets can correlate quite easily, I think.
2: In your opinion, because obviously rugby league and also the AFL, that's so huge in Australia and union almost takes a slightly backseat. How do you think that union can try and compete
1: and sort of gain the audiences that league and AFL uh, are? Well, to be honest with you, I think they've narrowed their market um, for a long time in Australia. It's such a, you know, I, I only played junior because my my family loved rugby. And, you know, if, if I wasn't going to a private school, um, if you don't go to a private school in Australia, you're probably not going to play much rugby. And if you don't have pay TV, you're probably not going <laughs> to see much rugby either. So it's quite difficult to, I guess, gain any sort of um, an audience or have any sort of impact at a grassroots level if, you know, if your markets, if you narrowed your market completely. Um, AFL and, and rugby league, um, they've done so well in, in expanding their, uh, expanding at a grassroots level. And, you know, uh, I guess they play on um, a lot of like, those heartwarming stories with you know guys who've come from you know out in the country made it big in the big city that uh, those sort of heartwarming stories that that make people want to be a part of that sport because it's you know some people see themselves in in that person's shoe I I don't think we've had enough of that in rugby in Australia or my my opinion
0: Hmm. so I guess there's the recent announcement that the um the Kangaroos, so the Australian Rugby League team will play the All Blacks in December. Um, what, what are your thoughts, I guess, because they're going to make a hybrid. Sorry?
1: Has that been confirmed, has it?
0: I think penciled in December 5th, the date. Yeah. And they're saying, oh. like, the scrums are going to be Rugby League, but they're going to have eight tackles and they can do malls and it sounds, and 14-man game, sounds pretty um, hectic. What are your thoughts on this strange hybrid fixture?
1: Oh, <laughs> Um, it'll be interesting to see how um, who adapts the best. Um, you know, both both teams are full of full of talent, talented players. Um, you know, so it'd be interesting to see who who could adapt the best. Mm. I mean, you got a lot of players in in the Australian Rugby League side that could easily play Union, and vice versa. Like a lot of guys in, in the All Black side who could do well in Rugby League. So. Um, you know, I think it would just be down to who could adapt to the rule changes as well as possible.
2: Yeah. Mm. Moving on to your time at Brumbies, you and Henry Spate were both unbelievable on the wings. Whenever people watch you play, it was like one of you definitely going to score. What was it like being such a dominant, almost being guaranteed that you are going to score tries and being so dominant on the wing?
1: I appreciate your kind words, man. But um, yeah, um, it, it was... It was easy for us because we knew, like, uh, we had world-class talent inside us. You know, like, we had guys like Christian, Leila Fano, uh, Matt Toomua, uh, Nick Wyatt, Tevita Kundrani, like, that was our backline. Uh, and then we had Jesse Mogg as well um, at fullback who who was, you know, supplying supplying all the space for us. Um, so, you know, it, it, was an, it was an unbelievable part of my career. Um, the five years in, um, at the Brumbies were very enjoyable. Um, you know, I often talk to the boys about um, you know our, our time back there, and uh, we sit and reminisce about all the good times that we had. It was it was it was crazy, but you know, I think the reason why we were so successful is because of the talent that we had inside us.
0: So what also the what was it like being coached by Stephen Larkin, who's obviously a world-class fly off in his day, a tactician. So did he sort of have the insights as a player and understood what you guys went through?
1: Yeah, and, and that made it easy for us to learn the game um and and grow in the game. Um I don't miss his back uh, backs meetings because I used to go for hours. <laughs> we used to watch clips of like every single line out, set piece play. He'd be breaking down everything, so you know he used to overload us with data all the time. That's that's probably why he was such a successful rugby player in himself, because he he would have been doing that when he was playing, Uh, and that that made us successful. So um, the opportunity to learn from him was unbelievable. I'm I'm so grateful that I that I got to have him as as a backs coach first, and then as a head coach.
2: So obviously, when you're playing for Brumbies, were there any teams that you least look forward to playing, or any teams that you sort of love playing because so the atmosphere of the stadiums? Or,
1: um, you know, I I have a love hate relationship with a lot of teams. <laughs> 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 we play against um, the Waratahs is a love uh, like I love playing uh, playing against them because um, you know you know the the that that's the derby, so you know you're going to get like a good crowd good atmosphere and stuff, but I hated playing against them because they're, yeah, because they're, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to be throwing stones at nobody, but, yeah, I just hated playing against them because, um, yeah. Mm. And then the Reds, the Reds back in their prime when they had Quaid, um, Will, um, especially off the back of 2011 when they won the championship, um, and, and, you know, they will like the team to beat. Like, I would love to playing against them especially in Brisbane, you know, they used to pull crowds, like 30, 40,000 people come packed to the rafters and, and um, you know, always a good contest. But I think the teams that I, I didn't really enjoy playing the the Bulls in Pretoria. They're they always tough, <laughs> physical, big bunch and that pitch is hard as hell. So your joints always sore after the games. Yeah. So in 2015,
0: you went to England, um, With the World Cup and you I guess Australia made it to the finals but one of the things I remember reading is that sort of the camp the Wallabies camp was just a fun place to be I guess they had music playing a lot what was it like being part of the boy like part of the boys in the group
1: oh no that was a really cool experience and uh Czech would have been that would have been yeah it was sort of coming to the end of his first year with with the Wallabies he he joined what 2000 end of 2014 spring tour so like as soon as he as soon as he came, he brought all that energy, um, you know, or or just tried to bring, I guess, just try to loosen the tension a little bit uh, in amongst the playing squad, um, and I guess try to install that 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 kid like um, nature that you used to have when when you first started playing rugby. You know, you just played it because. You're with your boys and you're playing because you, you enjoyed playing. And I think he tried to bring that sort of vibe back. Um, and that that helped us a lot. Um, so so it was really cool to, to sort of experience that. And, um, and, and, yeah, so thanks, Czech, for bringing me along for the ride. It was cool.
2: <laughs> um, the squad obviously very successful in the group stages. You beat England and Wales very comfortably. I was at the England game, you smashed us. Um, but then in the quarters you struggled to beat Scotland. Would you say that was mental fatigue and because it's slowly getting to the latter stage of the tournament? Or was that uh, element of perhaps complacency?
1: I can't I would never say that we were ever complacent because of the takeaway from Scotland's performance. You know, they played really well. Um No. And you know, people were saying that we probably should have blown them out or whatever. Um, whatever, whatever. Because of the way we played against Wales and, and and England in the group stages, but you know Scotland were, Scotland were a great side, um, you know, and, and they they gave us a tough 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 battle. Um, so for us for me to say that we were complacent we would just take away from their performance, and, not, and I don't I don't want to do that. Like I think that they played well, and we were just. I guess lucky that we, we got the results in the end and we just did enough to, to come away with the win.
0: Hmm. So in the finals you um I guess you fell short to the all Blacks. What was the mood like in the camp after sort of was was there a feeling of regret or did everyone feel that they did their best or?
1: Um, well, well like I wouldn't say regret, you know, like yeah. we all everyone left it out on the field, you know. Yeah. Um so Obviously, there was there was a bit of disappointment, but there was a lot to celebrate because uh, after after that World Cup final, well, after that World Cup series, we sort of revived rugby a little bit back in. And we mm. sort of brought a buzz back to Australia, and, and um, you know that that was that was awesome. Um, so the, there was a little bit of success. Obviously, we didn't walk away with what we were, what we we're after, but. Um, yeah, I think we just went out there, we <clears throat> we did we threw everything we at we had at them and just came up short. It was just one of those sure.
2: things. Obviously Australia had a slightly less successful tournament this year. Where do you think they went short when they um when they were playing England or?
1: Uh well I think from my perspective looking uh Looking as I guess from the outside in, just look like there was no real, real um, evolution to, to their game, um, whereas everyone else had evolved in the four years. You know, um, everyone else got better, and we sort of just platter. We we got better bit by bit, but we didn't grow as fast as mm-hmm. as uh, as everyone else. Um, you know, you look at the. The South African side in 2015 compared to the one that just won 2019, they're like, completely different, completely different teams, you know. Uh, same with England, uh, they're they a completely different squad. Same, same, similar squads, but like, you know, their, their evolution from 2015 and 19 you know, it was, it was amazing. So, and I just feel like Australia probably didn't evolve as um. Their playing style didn't evolve, um, which is probably why they fell short.
2: So, so obviously, Australian rugby is now going through quite a big reshuffle. There's going to be a new coach and new director. Where do you see them going from here onwards?
1: Um, I see, I see moving positively. I mean, Dave Rennie's had a lot of success with with Glasgow and also had a lot of success with the Chiefs when he was uh, when he was there. Um, so I think what he'll bring is is something that Australian rugby needs. Um, and like hearing, hearing him talk in the media and press now um, just gives me confidence that, you know, he'll have a really positive outlook on, uh, on you know, the future of rugby and hopefully, um, you know, it could just get better. Mm.
0: Um, so who would you like seeing as the Wallabies backline for the first fixture?
1: Well, it depends on like if they, if they change their rules. Yeah. There, there's speculation that they'll be able to pick um, people who are qualified for, uh, well, people who are based in Japan and mm. um, New Zealand. If they, you know, they qualified to play for Australia, then he'll. So if they change that, I I'd like to see. Uh, well, Nick White will definitely start at nine because Wogenny is retired. Um,
0: Over Tate. Tate mcdonald Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you can't rush. You can't rush guys like him. Yeah, um, he's an outstanding player, but you're not going to do anything good for his development if you just throw him into into the deep end, you know, without any sort of, I guess, support. Like you got to gradually bring him in, um, build his confidence, build his, um, you know, his game awareness. because game awareness at an international level is completely different to Super Rugby. Um, and then you know he's got Nick White there who who could learn off Nick's Nick's yeah. one of the best halfbacks world. Well, from my like from my biased opinion, I think he's one of the best halfbacks in the world. Um, you know he saw what he does, what what he did at Exeter and how much he meant to that squad. So like Tate would be uh, would be the halfback of the future, but I think Nick White's um, your your man right now. Mm. And then. Where we're, where we're short, short right now is probably Tens. tens. Um, so if they bring back players from Japan, you could go Bernard Foley, you can go Christian Lilley Funnel, or you can go Matt O'Moore, who's at the Rebels. Um, all good choices. All have been there um, you know, since, what, 2012, I think. Um, so they, they know the systems and stuff. Uh, very, very experienced. And you probably need... That experience at ten, especially if you're gonna have a quite a young backline. Um, then you can go Samu Karevi. You could either play around and, and put Mats Moore at twelve, or you could have Samu at twelve um, on the wings. I don't know if you've no I don't know if you guys watch uh, much rugby league, but um they got that Suliasi coming from, yeah. from, from Melbourne Storm.
0: Do you think he'll succeed?
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's got the skill set, sure. Like, yeah, he's he's definitely got the skill set to play rugby, and um, I I think I'm I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure he grew up in uh in Fiji, yep. so rugby rugby religion second nature. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think he'd just slide in just fine. So if you have him on the wing, and then Corbetti on the other, you can go Reese Hodge. Um, you can get uh, well Dan Halapeti will probably play fullback, so you probably have. Uh, the two flying Fijians on the on the wing. Um, now thirteen you could either go Tavita Kundrani or you can go James O'Connor. Um and depend it sort of depends on the kind of balance that you want. If you want um if you've got enough firepower in, in terms of the carries, then you'll probably want a little bit more ball mm. players. So then you go James O'Connor. Yeah. Or I mean but I'd hate to tackle Samu and then try and tackle Peter That uh, <laughs> not itself, uh,
0: so, you know. So I guess you and previously. You probably... oh, sorry. Yeah. So I guess you previously no, no, you go, talked about um, uh, sort of player development and bring it up from I guess sort of studying and slowly um introducing players. What about Jordan Pater, mm-hmm. who sort of got thrown into the quarters at England, but clearly has um incredible skill set and potential.
1: Yeah, and I, I think they should. Um, well, he's gotten a taste of it now. Yeah, uh, they should probably try and bring him and slow like his body's still like he's the poor fella's had like some some injury issues. Yeah, he's you know, had some injuries. They need to sort of slow his progression down a little bit just to ease him in, um, you know. Because the last thing you want is his career being ruined by injuries. He's only like twenty, you know and he he's got talent that could last you know over a decade easily um, but that's if they manage him manage him uh, prop, properly and and um he he's a men like You you saw him what he did against i think it was Georgia. he debuted yeah. in the World cup like he's he's got that he's got the the x factor i feel
0: yeah
2: Obviously, then you took a move also to move away from Australia, and you went to Montpellier. You obviously had quite a torrid time with injuries there. They sort of you never really managed to settle. How sort of how did you go about trying to keep trying to get some rhythm after suffering so many injuries? Uh, it was
1: it was quite hard uh, to be honest with you, but um, you know, on top of that, I was sort of learning a new position as well. So I, I went to Montpellier hoping to sort of play in the midfield, Um, and I guess that sort of kept my mind off of what was really going on with the injuries and stuff. So, um, I'm grateful that that it sort of worked out for me, I feel. Um, It it was, uh, you just got to find a way to manage, manage all those those things and then also find a distraction to, that'll also help you improve, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what that's what I do.
2: You said an interview that both Pro 14 and Super Rugby are quite similar, but then the rugby in France is very different. I was wondering whether you could just sort of go a bit further on this. And...
1: Oh, it's, um rugby <clears throat> in France is quite attritional. Um, you know, it's still very much a four-dominated game, um, even though they score some spectacular tries because cause, you know the French flair is still there. Like, like where where they find their, I guess. Their identity in their in their sport is is through the tough stuff, um, so the rucks, malls, set piece. It's all you know. It's all sort of where they base their identity from, as as much as the French flair as well.
0: Yeah, for well, sure. That's
1: what I. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: As a, as a back, do you sort of did you in which league do you prefer playing the most? I guess between all three. Oof. Because you've got the speed and super, which I guess is quite appealing for a winger, especially.
1: Yeah, I'll probably, I mean, you got look to at, look at it from like uh, other aspects of it as well. Um, I'll probably say super rugby because, you know, the seasons are shorter. Hmm. Um, but you also get to do like crazy travel. You see different parts of the world. Um, which is cool, um, and also the the style of uh, style of play is awesome. But then uh, Pro 14 was was quite enjoyable as well. Like you you got to tra- do a bit of travelling as well and see different parts of the world um, as well. Um, and then the the style of rugby's um, my style. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you touched on there that when you went to France, you wanted to move into the midfield. Is that? Do you enjoy now playing midfield more or do you think you're better at the wing or do you prefer playing on the wing?
1: No, I actually prefer playing it, uh, in the midfield, um, a little bit closer to the action. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, I, I just wanted to evolve as a player. Um, and in Australia, I was probably always just seen as a winger. So I think I, I wanted to go somewhere where, you know, I was just going to get given a shot to, I guess, make that transition. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've really enjoyed it, so. especially at Leinster.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So that move to Leinster, what what made Leinster so appealing to you?
1: I think in terms of um, what I wanted to do, where I saw myself um, evolving as a player, it just it just seemed like the, the perfect spot for me to go if I wanted to grow and continue to grow. And I, and I feel like my game's evolved so much. I mean, when I first got here, I was kind of like a Jack of all trades type of player, like a but master of none, you know. <laughs> and I, I really wanted to develop myself as a um in the midfield and you know, working with Stuart Lancaster, uh that sort of gave me the confidence to to you know nail down, okay, well, I, I feel my game suited to being a 12. Um and then I started focusing on on all the skill sets I needed to become become a good 12 and and, you know, I, I had guys inside me like Johnny Sexton, you know, who you can learn a bunch of. And then you got guys like Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose who are uh, unbelievable centre pairing. Uh, and I was able to learn off them. Um, and that helped my development a lot. Same with working with like guys like Ross Byrne and stuff. And even, like, the younger guys coming through that, you know, I learned more off them than they learnt off me.
2: <laughs> um, what do you think makes Leinster such so successful what's the secret that's key to all their success
1: I think the way they nurture the young guys coming through um, the way they're they're sort of gradually exposing guys um, and nurturing them through uh, as as their career gets on Um, you know you look at last year's season where you know we had a lot of debutants coming through and um, who got a taste of it and then those same guys that have played this year played so well, and it was, it was just like a seamless transition, whether we had the Irish Irish players, all, all the internationals or not. But you know, it, it just seemed like it was just a seamless transition. That's sort of like their strength. You know, they're they're so good at like nurturing guys um, into into the league and and giving them the right tools to, I guess, be successful. <clears throat>
0: So I guess you played both Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere rugby. Would you like to see a like a aligned international club competition where you might see, say, the Brumbies play Leinster?
1: Yeah, that'd be cool, man. That'd be really cool. But uh, it'd be quite hard to do because the seasons here are, are quite long. Um, mm. So if they shorten their seasons here, they will be <laughs> that'll work out well. It'd be really cool, man, to see. I remember a couple of years ago that when Racing. Played the Highlanders, I think, in Hong Kong. Yeah, kind of was a one-off mm. Inter-Hemisphere sort of championship. Um, so maybe, maybe something along those lines would be, yeah, probably be better suited.
2: Like a one-off fixture. Hypothetically, Leinster versus Brumbies. Who's winning?
1: <laughs> oh, it's a draw. And then we go <laughs> four extra times, and then we just shake hands and just leave it at that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. well so we've got one question that we always ask to all our guests and that's their favourite moment of their career what would yours be
1: um, sorry about that <laughs> I want a coffee yeah I don't know man I, I was probably probably my debut um, debut for the Wallabies even though we lost we lost to Scotland um, you know, it's always special playing playing for your country, and and um, whether you do it once or you know a hundred times, it's you're always going to remember your first one. Uh, I I think that that's probably the probably the my favourite moment. And you can you
2: talk us through the process of so when you found out you're going to be making your debut, when you and the process you went through from there?
1: Oh. Uh, it, it was quite hard because uh, you know I was sort of learning a, a whole new structure, a whole new game style and stuff. So um, I was lucky though because I when I, I debuted with Digby Ioane, um, he was he was on the other wing and he just took me under my under his wing and and sort of helped me um, sort of calm my nerves a little bit. Um, but uh, you know Robbie Deans was an awesome coach, man. Uh, I was. Um, I'm so lucky that I got to work with him, um, and and he's, he also helped. Um, you know, when coaches instill belief in you, it, it makes your makes your transition into sort of the next stage uh, so much so much easier. So, um, you know, having those sort of that external help from from my teammates and the coach stuff just made it so much easier for me.
2: Perfect. Well, Joe, I think we'll probably draw to a close there, but thank you so much for giving your time. Um, yeah, we wish you the best like, wherever you do end up playing rugby in the net. <laughs> I appreciate um, it, guys. <laughs> let your wife get her coffee now. <laughs> yeah, you just turn it back on. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And then thank you to everyone else who's tuned in to listen to this. And we'll see you all very soon. I
1: appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys, for having me. All the
2: best. Well, that's it for Series 1, but we'll see you all very soon with Series 2. For now, keep safe and enjoy the rugby.